Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. a week ago, a committee was launched to recall Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. Of course, this isn't the first recall effort we've seen in the Bay Area in recent times. Last year, former San Francisco DA Chesa Boudin was ousted from his position in special recall election, and now his successor, Brooke Jenkins, is facing some of the same scrutiny. And all these recall efforts are shining a spotlight on each district attorney's methods when it comes to dealing with crime. For Boudin in 2022 and for Price today, it's the cry that they are too progressive in their views on justice, too soft on prosecuting criminals. For Jenkins, it's the opposite, with reform-minded members of the community seeing her as too harsh, too quick to lock up and indict. So is there a district attorney problem in the Bay Area? Are they not doing enough to keep communities safe, or are they going too far? And how are the DAs responding to the challenges that lay before them, recall efforts and all? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Mary Hughes. I'm joined by KCBS reporter Mike DeWald, who had the opportunity to speak with two of the DAs I mentioned, Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price and San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins. Mike, welcome. Thank you. So let's kind of take your own broad view here, uh, some of the initial takeaways from these conversations, because I feel like it's really sort of a tale of two cities in a lot of respects. It's really fascinating in comparing these two stories because obviously public safety, there's issues of public safety all around the Bay Area, all around the country. It's not exclusive to to one area or another. But if you take these two prosecutors, on one hand, you have Brooke Jenkins. On the other, you have Pamela Price. Philosophically, you probably can't find two more opposite people. Uh, you know, Very different mindsets in how to go about uh, administering justice. But in many ways, each is facing similar challenges that are almost the opposite of each other, uh, both hitting milestones. Brooke Jenkins, uh, one year in office, of course, appointed following the recall of Chase Boudin. Pamela Price, on the other hand, just hitting the six-month mark in office. So both of them in the early stages, just forming their vision of what they see in their city's district attorney's office. 
well. And I, and I think seeing where they are differing and seeing where they are overlapping is, is something that you very much uh, were able to get into with them. So I think we should go ahead and take a listen to your chat with Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price. You're six months into the job. Now, as opposed to asking about accomplishments, let me ask you more about the transition and some of the efforts you're most excited about getting off the ground here in the DA's office. I am most proud, quite frankly, of my team because we came into an office with no orientation, no transition. I got reports on each of the units, the operating units in this division, uh, three days before we got inaugurated. Um, and I got no information from my predecessor. I had one meeting, uh, and there was a lot going on that just wasn't um, it's shared with me. And then she left, obviously, and her, her executive uh, person left. No, <laughs> so we had no transition internally, which, you know, should have been disruptive to us. But my team just jumped in full, you know, every, it, we, we describe it as being thrown into the deep end of the pool. And everybody learned how to swim uh, and, and knew how to swim and just started swimming and pulling each other. So I am so immensely proud of the executive team that came in the door with me. Um, and has done amazing work, whether we're looking at collaborative courts, which was, uh, there were 14 collaborative courts that were staffed with two lawyers <laughs> and no mental health clinician. I brought a mental health clinician in the door with me. So now we have a mental health clinician to help us with the mental health courts, and we have eight lawyers working over there. So I'm really proud of the work that they've done. And we've hired our first indigenous victim witness advocate, our first transgender advocate. So we've diversified that workforce and, you know, expanded it. What do people get wrong about District Attorney Pamela Price? What are the biggest misconceptions about your philosophy? I think the biggest misconception is that people think that I am supposed to do the police job, that I'm the one that's going to go out and solve the crime, apprehend the criminals, and bring them to justice. And that's not my job. I, I can't tell the police how they should allocate their resources or what they should be doing on particular times. You know, I can't tell them how to do their job. That's not my job. What I can hold them to as a standard of constitutionality, that is part of my job, my responsibility. But for me to protect public safety, which is the thing that I'm expected to do, I have to do it according to the administration of justice. And that means I have to make sure that we're doing things fairly, that we're treating victims, survivors, as well as defendants with compassion, with dignity and respect for all people, and that we're processing cases as quickly as we can, that we're not having backlogs of eight years and 10 years that these cases have just been sitting on the shelf. And, and we found a lot of that. This all comes in context of the early stages of a possible recall campaign against you. What's your reaction to that effort? It wasn't initially formed just now. Uh, people, the same people who are trying to raise money now have been trying to 
deny the election and overturn the the results of the election since I got here from day one. People started calling for, let's have another election, right? Uh, and so I consider those folks are election deniers. Our democracy is under attack across the country. And it's unfortunate that now those folks have focused on Alameda County. And quite frankly, the money and, and the leadership will come from outside the county. They don't represent the voters of Alameda County. The few folks that they're bringing on as, you know, sort of just, uh, as their figureheads, these folks are Johnny come lately to justice. I've been on the front lines of justice in this community for 40 years. And I, some of those folks I've never seen at any of the rallies or the calls, you know, um, that we've tried to make this system better. So, you know, people have a political agenda. They've had it. They lost the election and they want to overturn the will of the voters. And I think it's a it's a fool's errand and I don't expect that it's going to be successful. It's by no means limited to Alameda County, but we've seen a recent string of gun violence in Oakland, highway shootings on 580. Is there a role that DA's office can play in giving people the reassurance about their safety? Not particularly. I mean, my predecessor, the the one that shocked me, which happened long before I got here, was in May of 2021 when the party bus was shot on 580. I was horrified by that. Anytime we experience violence in this community, I think all of us are traumatized. I know I am. And, you know, that has nothing to do with my predecessor or me being in this role. I can't tell the CHP how to figure out how to keep us safe on the freeways. And that's not my job, okay? My job is to make sure that this system, which has an impact on this community, treats everyone fairly with dignity and respect and we do our part for public safety. So I, the most standout comment from District Attorney Price to me is her clarification of what her role is, um, because I think most people would automatically think that the district attorney's relationship with the police is very almost intimate in a lot of ways. That's right. D.A. Price really more separating herself from these police departments that report to her, really a, a a separate arm of the justice system that they work hand in hand, but a, a very different aspect of it. And, you know, she really she doesn't hide who she is. You know, she's done this for a long time. She's done this for 40 years, argued in front of the Supreme Court. She has a philosophy of what she believes uh, is is compassion in the law, is fairness in the law, is justice in the law. And along the way, I think she understands that in some senses that may rub people the wrong way. There may be some difficulty in getting there. But in her mind, she was elected with the understanding that this is what she believed in and this is what voters want her to carry out. Well, I'm glad you brought that up uh, in particular about, you know, her belief systems and what she's bringing as district attorney, because she does talk a lot about what she has done so far now that she's in this role, and a lot of it, you know, is keeping with what she promised, you know, more progressive standpoints. You know, she's, in many ways, she is doing exactly what she said she would do, but here we are with a recall effort. It, it kind of almost feels divisive within her own community. In some cases, it's a bit of a shock to the system. In her mind, she sees more of a sense of justice if the correct punishment is given to a crime, the challenge of that 
is how do you explain that to the victim of a family who a family member who's been murdered that it it may be right but there are there are challenges in getting there and and there's there is a a tough part of that conversation in you know explaining that to to a victim's family or someone related to these victims of a crime and that is going to be something to work through because it's a very different paradigm than we're used to in public safety in the bay area let's jump now from what da price is going through and let's take a look at what we're seeing in san francisco and with district attorney brooke jenkins we're going to hear your conversation with her right now a very busy first year in office for you what are some of the accomplishments you're most proud of uh particularly proud of the rebuilding we've done of the office uh when you talk about an office that lost 62 prosecutors in two and a half years uh to restore experience and prosecutorial ability is was huge and so we've been able to do that through hiring 39 lawyers over the past year. Uh, the other you know, thing that I look back on and, and really feel proud of is the renewed partnership that we have with the San Francisco Police Department and how far we've come to be able to work together collaboratively to try to address the issues that are uh, most deeply plaguing San Francisco. Neither agency can do it alone. We've got to figure out how to work together, and and we've been able to do that so far. Focusing on the opioid crisis and some of the trouble spots in the city, we've seen the governor add resources from the CHP, the San Francisco Sheriff's Office adding patrols. Does all of this help on the back end once you have to prosecute cases? absolutely makes a difference. We need to be, one, making sure that we have a continual pipeline of the cases as we try to hold people accountable out there on the street. Um, but being able to collect different types of evidence, have, uh, you know, the National Guard come in and analyze uh, certain evidence in the background that San Francisco police may not have the capacity to do at this time, makes a world of difference when we can go in and present a more comprehensive case to a jury. You talked about some of the disarray within the district attorney's office when you arrived. Were there changes behind the scenes to shift that culture? And how are things now? One of the major things that I had to do was restructure the office, having, you know, grown as a prosecutor here at the San Francisco DA's office. I knew some of the deficiencies in the way that cases were being handled and being staffed. And so I created new units to try to address some of those deficiencies. One was the vulnerable victims unit. We were at a crisis point in San Francisco with the amount of violence against our elderly community, particularly our Asian elderly community, and wanted to make sure that those cases were staffed with experienced prosecutors who could take the time to usher uh, very you know, vulnerable victims through the very intimidating and confusing court process and handle complex cases. Uh, and so I created that unit as well as a major crimes unit that takes on more of our more serious robbery cases, attempted murder cases, um, again, to make sure that we have experienced prosecutors handling those rather than them being sprinkled across uh, our you know, general felonies unit that's more junior attorneys. Is it a challenge contending with some of the outside perception of safety in San Francisco in comparison with maybe those who live and work here? in tackling some of those most pressing issues facing the city? It certainly is sometimes a, a tough space to navigate. Uh, I always will acknowledge to San Franciscans that we have issues going on with respect to public safety, that we need to, we need to make massive improvements um, in safety in many, many areas. Uh, but that doesn't mean that this is a place that people outside of San Francisco shouldn't work, shouldn't live, shouldn't open businesses, um, shouldn't visit. 
And so I, I try to make it clear that we are still a city that is thriving and that is beautiful and that people should come to visit and again, and to work, but that we still have challenges that we need to address. And they finally have a district attorney who is working hard to address them. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, is there anything you would have done differently in your first year? Maybe not something that would have changed the ultimate outcome, but the path you took to get there. You know, I certainly think that when I look back on uh, sort of my initial statements um, regarding the death of Banco Brown and, and our, you know, decision that we couldn't file that case, that I would have been able to articulate better to the public um, how we arrived at that decision and and explain things more clearly. Uh, sometimes as lawyers, you forget that uh, when you're talking to lay people that you need to make sure that you're not t using legal certain legal jargon. Um, and so you have to make sure that you're explaining it in a very clear way to people because they don't they're not as familiar with the process as you are. Um, and so that's one space where I, you know, if I could go back, I would have navigated that a bit differently, despite the fact that I don't believe that the outcome would have changed, uh, but just that my, ex you know, explanation of it uh, perhaps could have been clearer. You referenced this before. What is the relationship currently between the district attorney's office and the San Francisco Police Department? We certainly have to be able to work together to be able to express to each other sometimes when um you know, one of us or the other uh, needs to do more in a certain area. And, you know, that oftentimes has to to mean, you know, that you have tough conversations, but you want to feel a mutual respect for each other in the work that each agency does. And I think that that's what we've tried to offer is that we respect the work that, that they do. We appreciate the work that we that they do. Of course, we always will make sure that they do it lawfully, um, but that it takes us all having similar and, and aligned priorities, really, um, to know that we have to have open conversation about when, hey, we need you to go and find additional evidence or when they're displeased with something that we do on our end, being able to explain to them why we could not charge a case or something of that nature. So, you know, I think it's pretty apparent that Brooke Jenkins has a different uh, viewpoint when it comes to how to progress in her her position as district attorney in San Francisco than perhaps what Pamela Price is doing in Alameda County. Um, but th there are some similarities there. And I, I think on a on a bigger look is just they were both kind of brought into these positions uh, with a lot of turmoil going on. Well, it's right. If you listen to the comments of both DAs, they came into offices that were very much in transition, in flux, uh, disorganized. Uh, in the case of Brooke Jenkins, you're entering an office that just went through a recall. And I'm sure even within the you know, the microcosm of that office, you have different prosecutors with their own different belief systems, and you have to work through all of that. It, you can equate that to Pamela Price's situation in Alameda. She took over for a district attorney who had a very different philosophy, and it sounded like that transition was not the smoothest. It wasn't a, a, an easy you know, one person comes in and another goes out, very much similarities in sort of, you know, aligning what the vision, what the priorities are going to be. And that takes time. And, you know, for as different as these two are, they both went through these very similar situations of figuring out what that was going to look like in their office. One of the, the bigger differences, of course, between her and Price is a relationship with police. 
Um, I believe, you know, there was a sense that perhaps the office of the district attorney and the San Francisco PD were sort of at odds when Boudin was in that role. And she seems very much in the mindset of keeping that relationship good. Well, exactly, because to some extent, the success or failure of a DA depends on that police department and making sure that the evidence is there, that a case is there to successfully prosecute whatever case that you're looking at. And if that chain of communication isn't there and you're either not getting the right evidence or enough evidence or enough witnesses or just that there's no alignment in direction between a police department and the DA's department, then they can make, you know, all the arrests can be made in the world and it will just be a backlog of cases. Nothing will ever come from it. And that does seem to be something that is important to Jenkins or that she's vocalizing that's very important to her is the prosecution side of her role, uh, where we're hearing from Price that there's a lot of rehabilitative and differing methods when it comes to dealing with criminal situations for Jenkins, it's it's not quite that, is it? it? It really speaks to the scope of the challenges in both cities and what it's going to take for these two DAs to get where they want to be. Uh, it's, you know, for on Jenkins' side, it's, again, the scope of the, the issues. You have the opioid problem. There's you know issues with violent crime and robberies. And, you know, as a DA, there's only so much you control you have of how those things can can be taken care of uh, on the the side of DA Price in Alameda County uh, I think a lot of of her goals take time to see the the dividends of some of these shifts in mindset and you know changing a system that's existed the way it has for so long so for her the challenge is going to be being allowed the time to have those dividends pay off and and see those changes in uh, in what's you know a drastically different way of thinking. And of course, you know, we, we will see as time goes on just how much space uh, both of these district attorneys will get when it comes to seeing the fruition of what they're setting forth to do. And because the Bay Area is almost sort of inundated with stories of the crimes that are happening, as you mentioned, what's going, you know, what's being faced in San Francisco and what's being faced in many other communities in the Bay Area, it brings me back to the question I put forth at the beginning here, which is, you know, are we in the midst of a sort of district attorney muddle when it comes to the Bay Area? Is there a simple way for them to get the job done that can satisfy what the community is calling for? And to that, we actually turn to legal analyst Stephen Clark, who's going to help us take a closer look. Is there a straight through simple solution to whether Bay Area DAs are addressing public safety? And, you know, is it more nuanced than the public might think? Public safety is the paramount duty of a district attorney. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone has to go to jail for the longest period of time. Public safety can also mean trying to prevent crime before it occurs. So implementing good drug treatment programs, mental health programs to prevent crime also is a benefit to public safety. So I I think it's 
not a simple answer how to achieve public safety, but it is the ultimate goal of a prosecutor and the ultimate duty is to ensure that the public remains safe. So uh, I think people are looking at it from different points of view when they address public safety. And I think the most important thing a prosecutor can do is explain to the public why they're taking the steps they're taking. And I think that goes a long way with the public remaining confident in a prosecutor. They may not always agree with them as long as they're transparent and explain why they're taking the steps they're taking. Now, in San Francisco, we saw a successful recall effort. Uh, we're seeing the the foundation of that starting in Alameda County, another possible recall against the district attorney there. Do these recall efforts, are they effective in, in shaping the prosecution? Does it change, you know, what these district attorneys are looking at or how they're, their philosophy and how they're tackling public safety? District attorney is an elected position and they are accountable to the public. So these recall efforts do shape policy. And I think they are useful as long as they're not abused, because we will never agree with every single decision that a DA makes. They make difficult decisions every day. But I think having that input from the public that you're not getting this right is extremely useful and can direct public policy. I think the problem that you saw with District Attorney Boudin is that he made changes too quickly without taking baby steps to try to implement some of the reforms that he was elected to do. And I think he shocked the system a little bit. And I think you have to be careful that you don't come in and make radical changes without without seeing how they work in, in the real world. That's one thing, you you know, talking about the, the former DA of San Francisco and perhaps him moving too too fast or too swiftly in one direction with the policies he wanted to implement or the way he wanted to do things, that kind of that brings to mind, you know, commentary that maybe he wasn't working with the San Francisco police, perhaps as well as some people thought he might have been. And I do wonder if that relationship suffers between DA and police department, you know, how much that does that affect what the district attorney can do? The DA's office is a partnership with law enforcement. And I think that needs to always be remembered. And when you become unnecessarily hostile to law enforcement, you're creating potential problems for yourself moving forward because the cases all start with police investigations. They come to court and testify in virtually every trial. So it's important to have a good working relationship with law enforcement, but at the same time, that relationship cannot be too cozy where you're not going after bad officers. And I think that is a very difficult balancing act for a DA to do. How do you maintain a good working relationship with the police departments in your jurisdiction while at the same time going after bad officers or officers that are not truthful on the stand? So it's an important partnership, but one that is a very tense partnership. All really good points there. Um, Thank you so much, Stephen Clark, for speaking uh, with the two of us. You're welcome. Again, that was legal analyst Stephen Clark helping us navigate the big picture when it comes to our conversation about district attorneys in the Bay Area. 
thanks to him. And thank you, Mike, for delving into this with me and for sharing those conversations with us. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you for listening. You can find past in-depths online. Just go to kcbsradio.com. You'll find the episodes under podcasts. And of course, you can access in-depth episodes on your Odyssey app. Download the app on your smartphone and favorite KCBS radio. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Mary Hughes. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.